Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas, or at church1132.com. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 2. And while you're turning, let me just say how much of an honor it is to be in this house. The last time I preached here on a Sunday was two years ago when you were still in the other building. And I stood in here tonight and I just almost had tears come up in my eyes because look what God is breathing on. Moves of God like this don't happen by mistake. I want you to understand what you're really a part of. See, that's why God brings in outside voices sometimes, to make sure you don't become complacent with what God is doing in your midst. Amen? Thank God for your pastors. Thank God for Pastor Cameron, his wife. Come on, I thank God for them. You ought to let them know if you love them. Thank you for having me. Every staff member here, I honor you. You're all so hospitable and loving, and thank you for taking what you do for the kingdom seriously. That means a lot to a pastor when those that serve take serving seriously. I also thank God for your lead pastor, Pastor Dustin and his wife, Jamie. Let, let me just say this before I preach. God must really love you to send you who he sent you. Perhaps the thing I love the most about you is that you never expect from people what you're not willing to model in front of them. I stood beside him during worship and while you were cheering and praising God with your hands lifted and shouting unto God, I heard the same shouts from your pastor. The same hands were lifted because he'll never expect from you what he's not willing to model. Watch this. If he didn't do it and expected you to, he wouldn't be the leader. So I honor you and I tell you that the best is yet to come. I value your friendship more than you know. Whew. Let's preach. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, 9 through 12. And this is what the Word of God says. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive him. No, not so much as even about the door. And he preached the Word to them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born afore. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Skip down real quickly to verse 9. Verse 9 would say this. Jesus would say, Now whether is it easier to say to the sick of palsy, Thy sins be forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the sick of palsy, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen it on this fashion. I want to key in on the B clause of this very last verse. By the time he got done doing what he was doing in that city and in that house everyone around it said we have never seen it on this fashion let me translate to your world let me put it in your world by the time he got done doing his thing everyone said we've seen a lot of things but we ain't never seen anything like this before 
Oh, I'm coming tonight with a prophetic word from the heart of God to this body. Because God said, I know you've just built this house. But God says the next thing he wants to do is wreck this house for his glory. Touch your neighbor say, God's about to wreck this house. Let's pray one more time. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're about to say and do in Jesus' name. And everybody who believes, somebody say amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You may be seated. If there's anything I believe that is a priority of your faith, that I believe that you have to know and walk in, whether you are a believer for some days or a believer for some years, is that you have to know that the God you serve is not a dead God. Oh, did you hear what I just, I said the God you serve is not a dead God. See, they buried other prophets, but the problem with the other prophets are they're still in the grave. They put Muhammad in the grave, and Muhammad is still in the grave. They put Buddha in the grave, and Buddha is still in the grave. They put Confucius in the tomb, and Confucius is still in his tomb. But they put Jesus in the grave, and three days later, he got back up again because he's not a dead God. He's a living God. And if it's your God, you ought to make some noise for him right now. If he's not dead, your prayer life shouldn't be dead. If he's not dead, your worship life shouldn't be dead. If he's not dead, your youth ministry shouldn't be dead. And if he's not dead, your church shouldn't be dead. But if he is alive, then everything we do in the house of God ought to be active and living as he is. See, do you not know tonight that you are the proof that he lives? Every time you praise, you're proving. Every time you worship, you're proving. See, there's a world that can't see God, but they can see you. I said they can't see him, but they can see you. And every time you give a hallelujah, and every time you dance, and every time you shout, the world around you says, wait a second, he must be real, and he must be alive, and he must be on the move, because their worship just proved his existence to me. You're the proof that he lived. Because God is indeed a living God. And if he is a living God, it only makes sense then that he is a moving God. In fact, the truth of the matter is he has never stopped moving. From Genesis to Revelation, he has never stopped moving. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep and moved on the face of the deep. If he's water, he's living water. If he's wind, he's a mighty rushing wind. All the way to the book of Revelation where John says to close the book, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, for he is an all-sufficient, omnipresent, sovereign, incredible God. He is a living moving, breathing God. And if God is a living, moving God, it only makes sense then that Jesus was a moving Jesus. The ministry of Jesus was not stagnant. He didn't have headquarters. He didn't even have an office. In fact, if you really study your word, you will know that the ministry of Jesus was mobile. If Jesus ever got into your city, things would change. If he ever got into your city, something had to move and something had to shift and something had to go to a new place. If Jesus ever got in your city, the blind would see and the deaf would hear. If Jesus got into your city, it didn't matter how oppressed or possessed they were. By the time he got done doing what he did they had to come out up under his power because of who he was Jesus ministry was amazing and mobile amazing and mobile which proves to me that Christianity was never designed to be a monument 
it was designed to be a movement. <laughs> See, 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 that's what God is looking for in these last days. He's not looking for just hearers of the word, but he's looking for those that can take what they hear and transfer it into what they do. He's looking to see people who are running swift with the gospel, the preparation on their feet. He's looking for some people that know how to move. The ministry of Jesus was profound and prolific. Whole social system flipped upside down just because he showed up on their soil. Amazing his ministry. In our text... The mobile ministry of Jesus has come to a place called Capernaum. And as much as I wanted to preach Capernaum, and after some days, I could not get away from one word in the text to begin the sermon. Because the text says that this is not the first time he has shown up to Capernaum. The text says he has come again. Which means Capernaum was not a place of visitation. Come on, somebody, talk to me. Capernaum was a place of habitation because the idea of God was not to get in your life and then leave your life. The idea of God was to get in your life and stay in your life. He'll be there Monday. He'll be there Tuesday. He'll be there Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. He'll be there all the way till you get back here next week because this is who he is. Because the truth is, God only stays where he can have his way. And I know what you're asking me. You're saying, Pastor Josh, I get it. Visitation, habitation. We all want habitation. We want him to stay. We want him to stay. How do I get from visitation to habitation? I'm glad you asked. Because you can cross over from visitation to habitation when you decide finally that you're going to get out of preference and step into presence. Oh, did you hear me in this room? I said every once in a while that you can sabotage your own move of God with your own opinion. A move of God can be sabotaged by people that say, I want it done my way, and I want it sung my way, and if they don't sing the song that I wanted them to sing today, I won't worship, and if he don't preach on the stuff that's applicable to me, then, then I might not amen, and I might not stand, and I might not get rowdy, but there is a group of people in this house that say, it doesn't matter who's preaching, because we know who they're preaching about, and it doesn't matter who's singing, because we know who they're singing about. There's a group of people in this room that say, I might have a preference, but I'm not going to let that preference keep me out of his presence. If that's you, somebody give him glory right now. See, sometimes you got to lay your opinion down and throw your opinion down and throw your hands to heaven. Sometimes you got to throw your opinion down and throw your head back and holler a little bit in the house of God. Because if you ever want to see what God said, sometimes it means leaving your opinion at the door. And when you become presence-driven, it sets off a chain reaction in your life. Because you can't be presence-driven and not be pursuit-oriented. Ah, do you hear me? Is this too heavy tonight? You can't be presence-driven and not be pursuit-oriented. You cannot love him and not pursue him. Don't tell me you love him and then not worship him. Because I always know how much you love him by how you worship him. Just like I know how much you love the food by how much you eat. I was just in Spain. And they brought out on my first course of my first meal of the first day of the trip a cold soup. 
Do I look like I like cold soup? A tomato puree with oil and bacon bits. Judging by your face, you wouldn't have eaten it either. You know what, it, you know what that told them? I didn't hardly touch it. And you know what they told me? You must not like it. I'm fearful that our declaration is not matching our demonstration. And we say we love him, but we do not show we love him. Therefore, the question is, do we really love him? Is this all right tonight? Buckle up. It'll get better. And the Bible says, watch this, all of a sudden we know that if you're going to be presence-driven, you must be pursuit-oriented. But there's something that happens when you become pursuit-oriented. When you become pursuit-oriented, your awareness will be awakened. Let me put it in your world. He's easy to see when he's all you're looking for. And he's easy to find when he's all you're feeling for. Let me tell you what a real move of God is. A real move of God is not just him coming. It's you being more aware that he's here. Ah, are you hearing what I just told you? I said a real move of God is not just him showing up. Because what good is it for him to show up if nobody knows that he's here? But there are some people in this room that know when he walks in the building. You know when he comes in a song. You know when he sits down in a sermon. And if I got some worshipers in this room that know who he is and that he's in this room, somebody give him praise right now. Yeah, somebody in the city, somebody in the city, somebody, not everybody, somebody in the city said, wait a second, because I love his presence and because I'm in pursuit, I have become so aware to say somebody in Capernaum said, he's here. And when somebody in Capernaum said, He's here. He's here. Somebody said he's here. He's here. He's here. Somebody confirmed said he's here. Somebody said he's here. See, 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 real worshipers, that's what you're really doing. You're declaring not only that he's God, but that he's here. When I worship, I'm saying he's not just up there. He's down here too. He, he's not just the God of heaven. He is the God on earth. He, he is not just there. He's here. He's, he's here because isn't that the goal of Christianity? Isn't that the goal of worship? Isn't that the goal of the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody said he's here. Uh, somebody said he's here. Hmm. I like this person in the text. Because this person doesn't have a name. It's one of the only moments in the text that you will find that he has a relationship with somebody who doesn't have a name. I like this person because even though they didn't have a name, it never stopped them from making some noise. See, see, see you've got to get to the place in your life where even though people don't know your name, that's okay. Because the goal of this whole thing is not for people to know your name. It's for them to know the name. That's above every other name. They may not know your name, but that's not the point, baby. They may not know what you do, but that's not the point, baby. But if they ever leave this place knowing his name and his power and his glory, you have done your job. If you believe it, give him praise right now.
Somebody said, I don't have a name, but it doesn't matter. I'll still be noisy about who he is. And you know what else I loved about this person? Not only did they not have a name and make some noise, but they were noisy to people. Because part of your goal with your worship and part of your goal with evangelism is making sure other people know how good God has been to you. When's is the last time you let somebody else know how good God's been to you? Because the idea of heaven was, is that God said, I will do it to you, so that when I do it to you, I now know I can do it through you to somebody else. Let me put it in your world. If he healed your body, he wants to use your hands to heal somebody else's. If he touched your mind, he wants to use your hand to deliver somebody else's. Give me a group of believers in this room that say, I know you did it to me, but now I'm ready for you to do it through me to somebody else. If you believe it, somebody say amen. Yeah, yeah, do it through me. Do it through me. Do it through me. See, that's why the devil hates your testimony. That's why the devil hates what you've been through. Because the devil knows this, that your testimony is really your ministry. Touch your neighbor say, share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Yeah, yeah. I know the devil wants you to be quiet, but share it. I know hell wants you to be quiet, but share it. I know every demon in hell wants you to be silent, but share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share it till your family gets saved. And share it till your co-workers know Jesus. And share it till everybody you know knows God. Share it till somebody's body gets here. I feel the anointing of God in this room. Share it till the move of God comes to your city, your family, and your house. Share it. This person said, I will not keep silent about who he is. If there's ever been a time in America for you not to be silent, it's right now. Everybody says, look how bad it is. Everybody says, look at the problem. Can I tell you, in the kingdom of God, problems aren't problems. Problems are opportunities. You will never know you the value of light set against other light. The value, the real value of the light is only matched against the backdrop of darkness. Could it be that God let it get dark on purpose? Could, could it be that God is so in control that he wanted it to get a little bit darker and a little bit darker? Why? Just because he knows how bright your light really is. He knows how bright you're called to shine. And sometimes the darkness is not an insult. It is a compliment to your anointing. And when you know that, You'll bust hell wide open. When you know that, you won't be passive. You'll stomp the gates of hell and say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Oh, I feel like starting a riot in this room. I came to start a riot in this room. I know I'm in a church, but I feel like I'm in a room with some people that say, this is our moment. This is our time. Be seated, let me hurry. Hallelujah, let me hurry. And all of a sudden, somebody said he's here. Help me get out of my intro, Jesus. I'm still in my intro. I'm telling you hell is getting nervous right now I'm telling you hell's getting real nervous right now I feel every demon in hell shaking right now there's about to be an army of believers that come out of Allen Texas that come out of church 1132 that back up every demonic attack against this state and against this nation if you believe it somebody say amen yeah. be seated all of a sudden all of a sudden, 
He has come. Somebody has seen. And the text says something crazy. It says, and immediately the house got full. Because this person understood a secondary principle. Not only is it important to get him there, but watch this. They knew that if, when God wants to flip cities, he gets in houses. I'll preach back here to the lights or something. That I, I said, when God wants to flip a city, he looks for a house. No, no, no. And don't think this one is the first one he wants to get in. Don't, don't think this one. Mm. I said, this, this house, uh, this house is the first one. Because this is what God knows. If I can get in this house, I can fill this house. And if I fill this house, I can flip this whole city with my glory. If you believe it, give him praise right now. Touch your neighbor say, we must protect this house. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't just watch anything. I can't just go anywhere because this house might be the house. This house might be the house. This house might be the house that sets the whole thing off. Somebody said, if he wants to flip a city, I know he needs a house. You can have my house to start this movement. Somebody opened up the door and immediately the house got full. So full that the Bible says that they couldn't come near the door, which teaches me two things about a move of God. Number one, a real move of God always takes off the limits. You can't call it a move of God if there's limitations on it. Secondly, watch this. Not only does, it, not only does a move of God take off limits, a real move of God will always break down barriers. What am I trying to tell you? A real move of God is not a white thing. It's not a black thing, it's not a Hispanic thing, it's not an Asian thing. When a real move of God shows up, it's not a broke thing, it's not a rich thing, it's not a this city thing or that city thing. When a real move of God shows up, it's a Jesus thing. It's a Jesus thing. When a real move of God shows up, we ain't gonna care about where you came from and what your past is and what your mama and daddy said or what people did. Because the truth is, when Jesus really gets in the house, none of that matters because his glory fills the time temple somebody say yeah all of a sudden the house is full most people would say that's good church it's the kind of church I would want to go to he's there come on somebody see that'll that'll preach all by itself because I never want to have church without Jesus being in attendance the day we gather without God we don't call ourselves the church we call ourselves the club All of a sudden, he gets in the house. It's good church. The house is full. Jesus is there. But right in the middle of the gathering, watch what he does. The text says, and he preached them the word. He said, I want you to know that in the middle of a move of God, what really needs to be elevated is the word. <laughs> See, See, I'm, I'm growing fearful. Help me do this, Holy Ghost. I'm growing fearful. I've been traveling across the world and traveling across the country, and I'm seeing a trend in this generation of churchgoers that I have never seen before, and it's scaring me to death because I believe we are raising a generation of church people that worship, worship. It's dangerous to worship, worship. It's dangerous to praise, praise. This see, 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 if you know more Hillsong than you do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
you might be worshiping worship. If you're like this during worship and like this during preaching, you might, nah, I ain't gonna bother you. You might be worshiping worship. See, but what you really have to know in this room is and when the enemy attacks you and really wants to attack, you can't reach behind you and grab a lyric. You gotta reach down inside of a well and grab a word and say, thus saith the Lord over my body, over my mind, over my family. The worship is great, but when it comes to doing warfare, you need the word of God in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are only losing because you're not using the word. Some of you are only giving up ground because you don't know enough word to take it back. Some of you in this room are not winning because there's not enough word in you to fight the attack of the enemy on your life. It's dangerous to worship worship. See, because when you worship worship, you will become the soul generation. The one that knows how to soothe their demons but never cast them out. See, that's what happens when you worship worship. You need more music to feel okay. I need just, if I can just get in a couple songs, I'll be all right. If, and here's what ends up happening. You come on Monday, you come on Sunday, and you get a little bit of worship. But you got to come back next week just to get a little bit more worship. But how many know that is not the life God promised you? He did not say, come get a little bit of worship and feel worse for a little bit more. He said, I came that you would have life and that you would have life more abundantly. I came that you would tear down every work of the devil. If you believe it in this room, somebody give him praise right now. Oh, I feel like preaching. I feel like preaching tonight. All of a sudden, he says the word. The word, and he preached him. The word, the word, preaching the word. The word, preaching the word. The word, preaching. He didn't have a sermon. He was a sermon. And all of a sudden, most people would say, look at the move of God. He's there. He's preaching. The house is full. This must be revival. But I love that our text doesn't stop there. Because I'm about to preach what I really came for. Because unbeknownst to them, the text says, Somewhere across the city, outside of the pomp and circumstance of the service, outside of the move of God, there was still somebody across town that could hear it, but not respond to it. There was somebody across the way that says, I want to be there, but my issue won't let me. I'd love to be where you are, but my problem is too big, and my issue is too deep, and I'm stuck. The Bible says across town there's a man sick with palsy. In Bible times, if you were sick with palsy, palsy was a catch-all disease. If they didn't know how to diagnose you, they would just say you've got palsy, which meant there were many different versions of palsy. But perhaps the two that are most prominent is the first, for first, the first version of palsy was this, is that you were paralyzed. Let me put it in your world, stuck. 
Because some of us are sick with palsy and we don't even know it. Stuck. Stuck. I'm frozen. I'm stuck in unforgiveness. Stuck in bitterness. Stuck in pain. Stuck in a tragedy. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Stuck in what somebody did. And stuck in what somebody said. I'm stuck in something that happened 20 years ago. And I haven't moved for 20 years because of what happened. I'm sick with palsy. I'm stuck. I don't want to be. But I am. I'm sick with palsy. If you had palsy in the Bible, the second most prominent type, watch this, meant that 99% of you was okay, but there was one part of you that was out of control. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. 99% of you was good, but there was that one thing that would not obey the rest of you. Y'all ain't saying a word. See, see, some of us have 99% of our lives okay. Everything's good. We got a good job. We got a good family. We got some stuff going on for us. But we do have that one thing that's in rebellion to the rest of us. I want it to stop, but it won't stop. I want to stop looking at it, but I can't quit looking. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I want to stop watching it, but I can't stop watching it. I'm sick with palsy. Ah, I want it to change, but it will not change. I'm sick with palsy. See, see, some of your neighbors aren't really atheists. They're just sick with palsy. Some of them aren't really angry. See, 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 Christianity, we, we do our worst when we minister to the symptom without getting to the source. You want to know why the same people come for the same altar call? If they come in for the same thing every single week, you know what's wrong? That you are treating the symptom and not getting down to the sickness. You know, Jesus never ministered to symptoms. People would come to him with stuff and he would say the most off the wall things. And people would say, why would he say that? Because he was not ministering to the symptom. He was going down to the root of the source and said, if I can get the root, the symptom will walk out the door. Did you hear what I just told you? I said, if you let God deal with the root of the problem, when the root goes, the symptom will go with it. It's not a porn problem, it's a love problem. You're casting out the porn demon and they just need a hug. Somebody say amen. All of a sudden, this man is sick with palsy. I want to know really what I came for tonight is where are the people that can hear their screams? Inside of all the pomp and circumstance of the service, where are the people that still have an ear that are tuned towards the palsied? Because you know what they sound like. They, they all sound the same. They're all saying the same thing. They might have different versions, but they're all saying, they all say this. They all say, can somebody, anybody get me to Jesus? Every palsied person is crying out all over Allen, Texas tonight with the same cry. I want to be here, but I can't get here. Can somebody? Can somebody get me to Jesus? Don't tell me you want international ministry when you won't pick up your co-worker for church. 
Can somebody give me to Jesus? Word up for somebody. Anytime somebody invites you into their problem, it's only because they see you as part of the solution. There's a reason why they keep coming to your desk and keep calling your phone and keep texting you and keep messaging you because they looked at their life and said, I may not be able to get to Jesus, but maybe if I get to you, you can get me to Jesus. See, there's got to be a group of people in this room that say, it's not just about me and my blessing and my life and my agenda. There's got to be some people that say, if we want to be strong and do great exploits, it can't just be about me. It's got to be about what's around me and taking everything I can get and bringing it to Jesus. If you believe it, somebody say amen. amen. Be seated. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, is there's a realization that some people aren't going to get here unless you bring them. And the text takes a turn. All of a sudden, the text says, watch this, and they came bringing the sick of palsy. When I read it, it looked good, but it confused me. Because technically, you can't bring the man just based on his family. Because the text says, is this too heavy? The text says that he is born of four. I used to think there were four brothers and he was the fifth. But when you study the text out in its complete context, you will realize born of four means that they are three brothers and he is the fourth. Which means you can't bring the man based on his family. Why? Because watch this. There are three brothers and four corners. Four corners on the bed, three brothers, which tells me that somebody outside of the family. Come on, come up there with me. I said somebody outside of the family. Somebody that said, I may not know you that well, but I see your issue. I may not know you like that, but I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm not just going to see your problem. I will be a solution to your problem. See, a real move of God shows up when there is sacrifice on the mind of every person's heart. If you're not willing to sacrifice and be inconvenienced, you're not really ready for a move of God. Because it's easy to help what you know. It's hard to walk by something you don't know and say, I'll still be an answer. But wait a second, Pastor Dustin. This man is not the fourth man. One, two, three, four, five. One, two. He's the fifth man. What do say? One, two, three, four, five. Five, 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 the number of grace. See, see, when this man showed up, he wasn't just the fourth man, he was the fifth man, which means when this man showed up, the grace of God through this man showed up. Oh, are you hearing me tonight? Touch your neighbor say, grace is on the scene. Grace, grace is on the scene. Grace just showed up. You, 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 know, you know five. You know five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Five days of creation before God put man in the garden to let man know he would step into a completed work. The grace of God. One, two, three, four, five. Five books in the Pentateuch that let man know that there would be law, but after law there would come grace. One, two, three, four, five. Five porches at the porches alone that got a man to his miracle via the grace of God. One, two, three, four, five. Five wounds and five 
pints of blood spilled from the body of Jesus to let the devil know that where you opened me up, therefore grace would roll to the Gentile. One, two, three, four, five. The apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the fivefold ministry gift that let the gates of hell know you will not prevail because of the grace of God. One, two, three, four, five. Five fingers on your hand that when the devil gets in your face, you can tell him, talk to the hand because I've got the, oh, the grace of God on my life. And if you're thankful for grace, I dare you to jump up on your feet and thank him right now for his grace. Yeah, 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 praise him. Praise him for grace. Praise him for grace. Where would you be? You'd still be addicted. You'd still be in pain. You'd still be messed up. But the grace of God came where you were. Oh, see, I always know when I'm in a room full of people that are grace people, second chance people, and when I'm in a room full of religious people, because religious people think it's God's obligation that you came. But second chance people say... I'll let my makeup smear and I'll let my shirt tail come untucked because I know I shouldn't even be here right now. I should be laying in a gutter somewhere. I should be in jail or in prison. I should be dead. But since he let me back in, I'm going to give him all the glory due his name. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Every time the devil gets in your face, just remind him. One, two, three, four, five. I've got victory. One, two, three, four, five. I got purpose. And the grace of God came. And watch the grace. Somebody come to the keys. Watch the grace of God. The grace of God not only found him, the grace of God lifted him. Because when real grace finds you, real grace lifts you. Grace lifted him. Hallelujah. Pardon me for a second. I just got reminded of when I was depressed and how the grace of God came. And when I couldn't lift myself, the grace of God reached down where it couldn't go, where I couldn't go and lifted me out. But you know what else about grace? This is what everybody misses. Grace doesn't just lift you and leave you. Grace lifts you and carries you. When the real grace of God shows up, the real grace of God will walk you to your purpose. It'll walk you to your destiny. It'll do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And here they come by grace. Here they come by grace, by grace. Watch this. Grace walked them to the presence of the Lord. And here came grace. Oh, hallelujah. By grace. And you would think that as they got to the house, that somebody would have stopped by and said, wait a second, make way. Let him through. Let him in. But the text does not say that. The text says that all of a sudden they were stopped. Not by a disease. Not by an issue, but by a person. Because when the enemy really wants to mess with you, he's not sending something, he'll send somebody. And these boys said, we're blocked. But when grace took its final step, I'm finishing here. When grace took its final step, all of a sudden, faith kicked in. Because when grace takes its final steps in your life, grace will, also, will always trigger faith. And all of a sudden, faith kicked in and said, 
We may be blocked on this level, but that ain't gonna stop us from getting a miracle. Because faith, faith finds a way. And when faith kicked in, faith took them higher and faith took them deeper and faith took them into places their haters couldn't follow and the demonic forces of hell could not follow. Faith took them to a roof. Wait a second. This is the gospel. Because when we are saved, we are saved by grace through faith and they got up on the roof and you would think there'd be a skylight or a chimney something and they're blocked again and I could hear the man on the bed say you know what it just must not be meant to be I appreciate you bringing me all this way but I guess I wasn't supposed to get healed and all of a sudden these boys said we didn't bring you up here for you not to get a touch from God. We didn't bring you on this roof for you not to know the power of Jesus. And all of a sudden these boys said, we got to do what we got to do. And they started ripping the roof off. So, see every once in a while, you got to rip the roof off for your friends and rip the roof off for your family. Every once in a while you got to say, I know you can't do it, but I'll let my faith do it for you. Somebody give him glory right now. Stand to your feet. By grace, through faith, they started ripping the roof off. See, that's what Church 1132 is going to do. For every person that can't do it, we'll rip the, we'll rip the roof off for you. I know your issue won't let you do that, but I don't worry about it. I got your back. See, sometimes it's your worship that gets somebody else their miracle. And all of a sudden, the roof opens. And when that moment hit in the text, I closed my Bible and said, that's the sermon. Thank you, Lord, for what you just showed me. And I'm walking out and heard the Holy Ghost say, you missed the most important character of the text. I said, that's impossible. I have preached everybody in this text. The paralyzed man, the man that has no name, the person that has no name. I preached all the four brothers. I preached the bed. I preached it all. I preached it all. He said, you missed it. Until I realized this one thing, this one detail, that this is not Jesus' house. This is not the disciples' house. This is not even the palsied man's house. The implied character of the text is that this is somebody else's house. And these boys are ripping the roof off of somebody else's house. Theologians debate on whose house it was. Some say it was Peter's mother-in-law. Some people say it was some other folks. But in my mind's eye, I see a little old lady come out the front of the house. And I see her look up as these four boys are tearing the roof off of her home. And I see her in confusion. 
and I see her conflicted. I hear her open her mouth and say, excuse me, this is my house. Do you know how long it took me to get that roof like I wanted it? Do you know how many years it took me to get this perfect just the way I always wanted it to be? My roof is just like I've always wanted it. And you're releasing my roof. And I hear them talk back to her. And I hear her say, he's what? He's sick with what? Palsy? You're telling me you're only ripping the roof off of my house to get him his miracle? And in one moment, the real conflict of the text comes to the forefront. Because the miracle was not dependent on his power or their faith, but her permission. Because this is the conflict of, real, of every real believer. I want my life. But are you okay with him wrecking your house? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.